Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. On today's episode of the Heal Podcast, we have Dick Schwartz, who is the author of You Are the One You've Been Waiting For, Applying Internal Family Systems to Intimate Relationships. Um, Dick began his career as a family therapist and an academic at the University of Illinois at Chicago. There, he discovered that family therapy alone did not achieve full symptom relief, and in asking patients why he learned that they were plagued by what they called parts. These patients became his teachers as they described how their parts formed networks of inner relationship that resembled the families he had been working with. He also found that as they focused on and thereby separated from their parts, they would shift into a state characterized by qualities like curiosity, calm, confidence, and compassion. He called that inner essence the self and was amazed to find it even in severely diagnosed and traumatized patients. From these explorations, the Internal Family Systems, or IFS model, was born in the early 1980s. IFS is now evidence-based and has become a widely used form of psychotherapy, particularly with trauma. It provides a non-pathologizing, optimistic, and empowering perspective, and a practical and effective set of techniques for working with individuals, couples, families, and more recently, corporations and classrooms. So I am beyond excited to welcome you to the podcast, Dick, because as always, the universe handed to me a gift of exactly the information I needed to know when I needed to know it. And I'm telling you, this book that you've written, I know you've written a few other best-selling books on IFS, but this book somehow, I mean, I just like, it was, I just, I couldn't put it down. It was giving me all the answers that I had been searching for, whether it came to parenting, just relating in anything in life, but especially intimate relationships. So um, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kelly. I'm, boy, I had no idea that you uh, would be so enthusiastic about it and it feels great. <laughs> I'm beyond enthused and it's it's so genuine. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, why don't we start by just for the people that aren't familiar with IFS, give them the Reader's Digest version so we can refer to it as we go. Okay. Um, yeah, as you said, I think this is the 40th anniversary, 40 year anniversary of this journey for me, which started when clients started talking about their, what they called parts and I had no clue what they were talking about and then realized I've got them too and and that mine have some pretty extreme relationships. And so I got really curious and I was lucky. I had a couple of clients that were so articulate about the whole phenomenon. And one of the things they taught me was that the parts aren't the product of trauma, you know, the splitting of the unitary mind, that they actually uh, are all valuable inner beings who uh, because of trauma get forced out of their naturally valuable states into roles that can be damaging. And, you know, I know your podcast is around medical healing a lot and can cause medical symptoms, but also all kinds of psychological problems. Um, But that isn't their essence. That's not who they are. And through trial and error over many years, 
I learned to how to help them out of their extreme roles so that they can become who they were naturally designed to be. So, so the idea is that we're all in a sense, multiple personalities. Not that we all have that disorder, but pe even people with that disorder aren't so different from you and me, except that their system got blown apart more. But we all have these autonomous sub-personalities and, and, and that's great because they're also valuable. But when we do get traumatized, we tend to lock away some because they're the ones that got hurt the most. Uh, thinking now we're just moving away from the worthlessness or the shame or the terror, not, not realizing that we're locking away the parts of us that before they got hurt were these wonderful inner children that were so lively and playful and loving. But then because they got hurt, we don't want anything to do with them. And when you get a lot of what I call exile parts, then you feel more delicate, the world seems more dangerous, so other parts have to become protectors. And they leave their naturally valuable states and become either managers who are trying to manage your life so that you don't get triggered until your exiles stay contained. Or if, if your exiles do get triggered, then there are what we call firefighters who deal with this flames, this fire of emotion that's coming from your exiles and you have to get away from immediately or you have to douse it with some substance or get higher than the flames. So all of that is just to say there's a, a kind of map to this territory that's held up pretty well over the 40 years. The bigger discovery though uh, is that as I was trying to get clients to actually listen to their parts rather than fight with them. And I would notice that I, I might be having you, Kelly, try to get to know your critic, for example. Mm -hmm. Not saying you got one, but in case you did. <laughs> Nailed it. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to have you start a conversation where you're just curious about why it calls you names. And in the middle of the conversation, you suddenly get angry at the critic. And it reminded me of family sessions where I'm trying to have two people talk to each other and a third person would interfere and make it go south. So I began, I would ask you, Kelly, can you find the one who's angry at the critic and get it to relax back in there? And you could probably most of the time. And now how do you feel toward the critic? And it would be an entirely different answer Seconds earlier, you hated it or you were terrified of it. We get those parts to open space. And it seemed to release this other person who would be curious and calm and compassionate and, and confident relative to the critic. And when you were in that state, the critic would respond really well and would share its secret history of how it got forced into that role of being the critic, how much it hates the role but thinks you're still five years old, so it still has to do it. <clears throat> and would love it if it could, if you could help it out of the role. And that it protects these other parts that are so vulnerable, these exiles. So as I got that, and I would try the same relaxed back process with other clients, it was like the same person would pop out with those same C word qualities. Those four, and in addition, courage and creativity and clarity and connectedness. So those are what we call the eight C's of what I 
call self-leadership, because when I would ask you, uh, what part of you is that? That's great. You'd say some version of that's not a part like these others. That's me. Or, that's myself. Mm. So I to call that the self with a capital S. So when I'm working with somebody, I'm helping them initially get to know their parts, even parts that are driving them crazy, and then help them access the self so that self becomes the, the healer of these parts. It's really like so resonant. I, you know, some people call it the observer. It's, it's almost like we have these unflawed souls or these higher selves and there's, you know, different modalities and, and um, disciplines that put it in different terms, but yourself is this, you know, perfect divine wholeness, uh, our whole self that we come into this life. And then we have all these little fragmented human parts um, mm -hmm. and we could be that greater consciousness, that higher self that relaxes back. And I, I just randomly did a post about this like three weeks ago, using your language before I read your book. It's so beautiful. Um, and it's also so funny. I'm a massive fan of alliteration. So <laughs> as we we went Me through, <laughs> it's the best. And and so I had even this past summer, so almost a year ago, you know, was entering like a family vacation with diametrically opposed political and COVID views. And it was my house. So I decided to establish some rules. And I'm gonna say like, I love you all. I wanna have fun, um, but I need everybody to, you know, I approach conversations of these heated topics with curiosity and compassion. Just listen, don't listen to defend, don't listen to prove yourself right. Just come in with curiosity and compassion. We're all intelligent people. We all have different views. Let's let's have peace. And if we can't do that, then those topics are off the table. And mm -hmm. so it's so great that, you know, you love C's as much as I do, apparently. Um, yeah. So what you, you know, the first thing in the book, you establish this, like the amount of ahas as I was reading this book. And I know you've been intimately, I know the process of writing a book and it's so difficult to kind of take in or like understand how other people are going to digest it. But this book just, it just flows. And the ahas were like fireworks going off with me. And one of the first ones, you lay this foundation of why, you know, American marriage, specifically American, but most Western cultures um, is set up for failure, just the way we're socialized, the way our cultural, and just knowing that releases this pressure of failure for, you know, these, I know so many people going through divorce right now and are struggling with relationships. Um, and, you know, the 50% statistic, if you think about it, it's like, okay, 50% of people get divorced-ish, right? So that's not a great statistic. And now we understand why with how you've laid it out. But then you realize that the other 50% of people staying marriage, out of those people, 80% are really unhappy and miserable and not doing the work. So um, it just, you're, you give us so much relief. I don't know if you want to touch on the basics of that to give them a little ditty. Happy to, yeah. Um, what I started to observe when I was working with couples in particular, but anybody who's you know, desiring of connection. And what I, what I started to see was that they would have parts that were desperately looking for the right person, Mr. or Mrs. Wright out there to take care of these parts, that the parts themselves were very young and often uh, scared and needy and desperate for approval from somebody who could prove that they weren't worthless because 
these young parts often come out of our families with that, what I call the burden of worthlessness, the sense that, that um, they're not valuable because one of your parents gave them that message and, and they were desperate to be redeemed by that parent and the parent never really did. And so you walk around feeling, it could be not just worthlessness, but also terror. You walk around looking for the protector in your partner or with the worthlessness, you look around for somebody who might resemble your parent to try and get that person at least to tell you you're valuable. Um, and, and so when we're doing that search for a partner, um, we're doing it from these young parts usually. And when we find that person who does resemble the, the parent and who does affirm us, then we become elated. We, we feel infatuated with that person. Finally, somebody is telling that part of me that it's valuable. Unfortunately, that person often is like your parent and winds up hurting you in the same way. And when they hurt you, then you're right back to feeling that worthlessness or that terror again. And so most of us will go into one of four projects to deal with the, that emergency. One of them being to try and change your partner back and into being that redeemer, the one who can make you feel so great. And when that doesn't work to change yourself so that your partner likes you again, maybe you lose weight or you, you do stop criticizing or whatever it is. When that doesn't work, often you start to think, maybe this wasn't the right redeemer. Maybe that person's still out there and you start looking around. And when you get burned enough times by doing that, then you just say, I give up on a human being. I'm gonna do something else to, to deal with this and just live with the worthlessness. So that's what I found in, in most relationships. Uh, and the, the, the answer is in the title of the book that there is this self in us who can become the one that these parts have been looking for. So you can become that primary caretaker of your own exiled parts. You can help them unburden the worthlessness and the terror. And then you can look for a partner from a very different place, from those eight Cs. And when you find that partner, they don't have to be the primary caretaker of your exiles. You're already doing that. They can be the secondary caretaker. And so they don't feel all this pressure to make you feel good. And they don't get your insecurity when they, they have a bad day and so on. So it's easier for your partner too. Yeah. And that's, a, I mean, that's like an unrealistic burden to place on someone, which is why we cling. And then what we fear the most, we actually manifest because we're Great. pushing, yeah. we're pushing them away. We're clinging, we're needy, we're doing all the things, but it's this out of control part of us that is just so desperate for love. And it's not desperate for love out there. It's desperate for us to recognize it after we exile, you know, usually the, this all happened, you know, the trauma happens in childhood, of course, things happen in life that can create new exiles. But, you know, these parts of us, this like gregarious, you know, performer or this, you know, more kind of 
whatever these parts were that we were ashamed of or ashamed by one of our parents or an authority figure that we've exiled, they're just screaming for love. And the whole point of your work is to go, you are the one you are waiting for because you can't have a healthy relationship until you are able to hold the container and love all your parts. Otherwise you're going to be needy and grasping or, you know, and then when you don't get what you want, then your protector voices, you know, and your defense mechanisms will come up. It You lay it out so clearly. It's like, and I've done IFS with a therapist before and I, I was blown away and, and it was super effective, but I have to tell you, it was like, it's like grueling work, you know, at first to try to kind of learn this and to go back in time and like revisit kind of that, you know, um, attachment injury or the trauma that happened, it's painful. But once you start mm -hmm. practicing it and, and for me, you know, I've done it with a therapist and it's hard work, but then after reading your book, it feels like I just have a whole new software program downloaded, a new lens through which to look where I can understand it and start to practice it on my own. Cause yeah. awareness, you know, is the first step of like unloading that pain is awareness, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and that is a big goal of uh, the work is to help people like you be able to do this on their own. Um, maybe not all of it, but do a lot of it on their own because it's, it's pretty possible once you get to know these parts and you, you stop hating them and start getting open to them. They welcome your, your attention. And, and then there are times where, like you were saying, you want to revisit those those attachment injuries and those places where they're stuck in the past and get them out of there. And that can be very painful, but ultimately that journey through the pain leads to what we call an unburdening, the part to be able to unload the pain it carries and the terror and the shame too. Now, is it possible, like if, you know, I'm reading the book, I'm, I've done IFS, is it possible to stay, like, how do you know if a relationship is, because relationships do run their course, two wounded individuals come, they learn, one grows, one doesn't, they both grow to a point and life, soul, God has other plans for them. It's one chapter. I, I believe that is a reality too. So how, like, how do you know when to keep doing the work in a certain relationship or if one of you's looking inward and doing the work and the other is not, is, you know, is that sustainable? Like, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's very hard to know when you're what we call blended with these parts and their burdens because they really can distort your, uh, your view of your partner. So um, as I was saying earlier, if you have a exile who's, who was initially desperately attached to your partner and then your partner does something hurtful, this protector will take over and blend with you to the point where you're looking through the eyes of this angry part who only sees ugliness in your partner. Uh, it's quite amazing. I'm not, I have been through this a lot with my wife where this woman who I think is quite beautiful suddenly looks unappealing. And it's because she hurt me during the day and this part took over. And so that, you know, other people call it projection. It's like you're not seeing your partner for who she is. You're seeing uh, the part's view, which is very related usually to the way it felt toward your parent who hurt you in the same way. So it's really hard to tell 
if a relationship is worth working on uh, while these parts are in their extreme states. It's, it isn't until they're willing to trust you to look through those eyes of clarity, you know, that C word clarity, and actually see your partner for who he or she really is, that you can actually have the information you need to decide whether this is worth it or not. Totally. You give so many, like, um, obviously change the names, but you give so many examples in the book, like the Helen and Kevin example is such a great, you know, as you walk us through, there's so many relatable things about our own lives. So I'd love for you to share like, just kind of specific examples of how some protectors show up or what parts of us and why have we exiled these, you know, children to the basement? Um, just so people can relate to like, oh yeah, I maybe exiled, I have that exile or I have that protector active right now. Well, I can talk about my own system and my my wife and I, although she'll kill me if she ever hears this. So. <laughs> Sorry, Gene. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, so my father uh, was the one parent that I felt love from. And so when, when he was being loving, it was fabulous for me. And I, he was a, you know, big figure and I was desperate for his approval, but on a dime, he could shift and get very angry. If I screwed up in any way, he would become quite shaming. And uh, a lot of the burdens of worthlessness I carried out of my family were based on that. And and so, you know, I spent time looking for someone who was as smart as him to tell me I was valuable. And so Jean is, is like that. And, uh, and she also, like him, has a temper. And so uh, sometimes when I screw up, she can go from zero to 100 very quickly. And that will trigger that little guy who was so desperate to have my father's love and who felt so terrible afterwards. And then that brings in my big time protectors who either totally withdraw and shut down or will kind of totally counter <laughs> um, compared to her protector, it's pretty feeble. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then we're off to the races and what I've you know, learned to do, and, and she has too, is to just pause and each of us do what we call a U-turn in our focus. So focus inside and find the parts that are doing the talking and then find the parts they're protecting. So I found that little guy with my father and then witness what that was like for him and then see the parallel that's happening with, with my wife and then come back and speak for those parts. So just let her know, uh, I, I know I have a big reaction when you shift like that. And this is what I've learned about why. And I'm gonna work with that guy so he doesn't have as big a reaction. In the meantime, it would be very helpful if you didn't uh, you know, act like my father and explode <laughs> on me. <laughs> and 
Uh, and I understand that, you know, that protector in you is protecting something too. And uh, so I don't expect you to do a perfect job, but I'm coming and speaking from self for that little one and also for the part that protects it. So that's a lot of what we're trying to help couples do is because when you get triggered like that, your first impulse is to either run or attack or freeze. And we're inviting you instead to just focus inside. Like I said, many times you have to get some space to do that. But listen to the stories of these parts and what's why they're so triggered. And, uh, you know, if you don't have the time or the setup in the moment to actually do a healing piece with them, at least come back to your partner and let them know the damage they're doing, uh, not in a shaming way, but just, excuse me, this is the impact of that protector in you. And I kind of get that it's protecting something invulnerable too. And so you're, you're trying to get the protectors to let you speak for the vulnerability and yeah, so that, and speak from self, from those C word qualities to your partner. Yeah. Calm, confident, clear, compassionate, yeah. creative. Um, it's so it, that kind of communication and self-reflection, that is the breeding ground for intimacy. I mean, you can't have intimacy when your protectors are out front protecting your wounded parts and just escalating, you know, it just creates separation. So if you can, so these tools are so like, I mean, they're life-changing, not only for your relationships, but for yourself, because you're not living unconsciously from trigger to trigger, reaction to reaction. You're able to go, oh, I'm really emotionally triggered, whether my face is hot, you know, my chest is tight, I've got this angry protector, or I've got this intellectual protector, or the stonewall protector that is shutting down, all these things. It's like, okay, that is not from myself. That is from a protector. And then you like have the presence, awareness, you come back to self, you ask the protector to go step back a little bit. It's a part of yourself. It's not the, the definition of you, which we'll get to it in a second. But just reading this book and getting about halfway through last night, well, I was cramming last night because that's what I do. My whole life, I'm a procrastinator. I used to beat myself up. I realized that it's a very explainable part of my human design and I now have embraced that part of me. But yeah. it's how, yeah, it's like, it's it's how I work and I choose to work that way. So I love to like cram a book in the couple of days leading up to an interview because that's how I just like dive in and get enthusiastic about it because I'm like, yes. And last, I had, Planned this whole plan, had coverage for my child. My husband was home. Had this whole plan that was going to be perfect for me and my cramming plans. And it got disrupted because my husband decided to change the plan. And I'm so I'm just like, okay, went to put my daughter to bed, which was not part of the plan and could take anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on the night. And that's crucial reading time that I factored in before my, you know, 10 o'clock bedtime. And, um, and I'm lying there in bed with her and I'm just fuming, fuming inside. Like, how does he not know? Like how, like, and then I went from, okay, step back a little bit. And I was like, oh, what are the wound, you know, what are the ex exiled parts that's causing him to do this? And then I was like, wait a second, I know nothing of that. None of that matters. And then I, you turned into me and I go, 
why am I getting so stressed and triggered about my plan going off track? Oh, because as a child, I had, you know, had a, a father that grew me into a people pleaser because I wanted to keep the peace. And I felt that if I didn't do everything right, or if I made a mistake that explosions would occur. And um, so that's who I became. And I, and I, if I don't do perfect in my interview tomorrow, which we're here now, um, and I don't get all the information so that I can be the smartest I can be, then I will be unlovable and perceived as stupid. Like this is where I went, but, yeah. and then I was able to go, okay, so that's, and then I held that, held my physical child and held that inner child of mine, that vulnerable exiled part. And it was like a little bit of like a, huh, I don't need to project all that stuff onto my husband for being oblivious to my plan, you know? So it's just, even just reading the book, even like you said, I think you do need a, a therapist to deal with the bigger traumatic issues because, you know, we're going to resist going to that pain, but these everyday moments are opportunities. Um, and you're, you're, you're like, you, you call them tormentors. Our intimate relationships are, are tor mentors and right. all these triggering moments are opportunities to learn more about the unhealed parts of ourselves and then just become our the the greater self to become the you know the embracer the caretaker of those wounded parts so that we can show up and have intimate conversations and connection and relations with people that's right yeah that was a great example kelly of the u-turn and then you know how quickly you can actually step out of that rage once you get what it's about and you can tell the the rageful part it's okay i can handle this you don't have to take over and browbeat my husband <laughs> and stressful part i'm then my blood pressure lowered because i was like i can't do anything about this i like i need to put my child to bed this stressing is futile and it's driven by this scared little girl in me that feels like if i don't do things perfectly i won't be loved or i'll be perceived as you know stupid and that's the part I need to work on, you know, and heal. And then when you real have that self-reflection, then you can, if you're in a safe relationship where this is possible, you can come and, you know, either repair an argument or come in to your partner the next morning and say, oh my gosh, this is what I realized last night through this process. That's perfect. And then at some point, go to a therapist who can take you to that little girl who's stuck back as the peacemaker and get her out of that scene and help her see she doesn't have to take care of her parents and help her unload the perfectionism and all the other burdens she got back there. Okay, when's your next appointment availability? Uh, okay. <laughs> we could do it now if you want. <laughs> well, should we? Sure. <laughs> Let's do one little ditty. My, I'm sure people will would love me getting vulnerable here, so yeah. Okay. So where do you want to start? You want to start with that what came up uh, yesterday? Yeah. yeah, I think um, I'm trying to think like what my biggest, you know, stressor is. Um, yeah, it's that need to have everything go according to plan and perfection. Otherwise, me me making a mistake or not doing my best means I'm unlovable or unworthy. Perfect. So where do you find that one in your body or around your body? 
um, it's kind of like throat, chest. And as you, as you notice it there, how do you feel toward it? Um, I feel, I mean, it feels like icky. It feels like uh, that yeah, question. You don't, you don't like it. I don't like it. Okay. Which makes sense, but we're going to ask the part who doesn't like it so much to just give us the space to get to know it and maybe even help it. So see if the one who has an attitude toward it could give us a little space. Okay. Okay. How do you feel toward it now? Curious. Okay, so let it know you're curious about it and just in a very open way, see what it wants you to know about itself and don't think of the answer, just wait and see what comes from that place in your body. Scared? It's scared? Mm-hmm. So how do you feel toward it as you hear how scared it is? Um, I just feel, you know, I feel bad for it. I feel like I'm gonna hold it. So let it know and see if it's willing to let you hold it. It's like tentative. Yeah, it doesn't quite trust you yet. Mm -mm. And ask it more about that, about why it doesn't trust you. Um, I don't think, just wait and see. Yeah. What okay. It's like a combination. It's been down here so long. And um, it just doesn't trust love, I guess. Yeah. Does that make sense, Kelly, that it doesn't trust love? Yeah. Well, let it know you can understand that. Yeah. And that you're going to have to earn its trust. And it can take its time with that. Okay. And how are you feeling toward it now as you get how it just doesn't trust love? Um. I feel I understand and I give it space, but also mm -hmm. like I'm determined to earn its trust. So let it know that you really want to earn its trust and it can take its time with that. And do you have a sense of how close you are to it in terms of feet away in there? 
feels like maybe five feet away. Okay. Yeah, and from that distance, maybe just extend a kind of loving compassion to it and see if it's open to at least getting some of that from you from a distance. <coughs> Yeah, I'm like four feet away now, like kneeling at its level. Good. How's it reacting now? Just kind of relaxing a little bit, not too much. Good. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not uh, allergic to this. It's, it's mm -mm. okay. Feels pretty so comfortable just... at this space. <laughs> okay. I don't feel. So we'll just kind of hang with it this way, and almost like the horse whisper, just kind of being present with it, letting it know you you do love it, and it doesn't have to trust. It's really okay not to. How's it doing now? Good. I didn't realize how traumatized it was. Okay, so let it know you're starting to see that. And see if it wants you to know more about that or if that's premature. That's feels good to be seen. Mm -hmm. I'm just <laughs> they're exhausted. Okay. Yeah, we get that too. And maybe for now, just ask if it would like you to come and be with it this way more often. Yeah, it's like, again, like a trepidatious yes. Okay. What do you say to it about that? Um, I say, it, uh, you know, until they understand and I'll come and check in every day and just sit right here until... She's ready for more. Perfect. And then before we stop, let's go back to part that thought it was yucky and had the attitude. Mm -hmm. Just see how it's reacting to this. Yeah. Now it's a little more compassionate. Okay, great. So it's willing to let you go every day to her and, and be there this way? It's nodding yes. All right. Terrific. So does that feel like a place we could pause? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Yeah. Wow. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel like there's just a little more space, you know? Mm. And like, I'm very intellectual. So I've intellectualized a lot of this stuff. That's right. Um, and so it's just good to like, really know that even though it doesn't make rational sense to a 40 year old woman it's like wow 
wow, no, but back then that's a really scared part of you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good that you can be with it and uh, earn its trust. Like you said, like it, it was being very honest about how little it trusted for, at first. Yeah. But like Kevin's story in the book, I mean, it's such a powerful example, I feel like, because a guy who, and you, you have to read the book to get into the details, but it's just, you know, the, it's, someone might be listening and go, oh, it's easy for her. She's so open. She does the work. She's been in this work for a long time. But it's, you know, just as scary relative to everybody. And for you to be able to access someone like Kevin, who's this high achiever, I mean, that fear is so real. And for me to know that he's gone through it, like gave me, I don't know, just like, like if you could crap Kevin, you know, <laughs> like I want to, so it was just, it was just really helpful to have examples to follow in the book. That's great to hear. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to you for being this vulnerable on your own show and uh, trusting me enough to do that. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it it's just a really good example of it doesn't take all that much. Mm -hmm. It just takes getting the parts that are so polarized to open space and let you go to these really scared ones rather than berate yourself for being scared or whatever we tend to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people you know, I know one of my best friends is always like in, in something like this, it'd be like, I'm not doing it right. I can't like, he's asking me to describe the part of feeling. And I just, I don't even understand what he's asking. And there's parts of me that showed up there. I was like, what does he mean? What, you know, but you just use whatever language is coming forward. And then you can kind of mold and mm -hmm. you know, lead the horse to the water. It's so, so good. So what would you say to me then with my homework? Like, how do I, how do I come back in that space without you on the daily? Yeah. So, um, every day, some people do it right when they wake up in bed or just as a meditation at some point, just go looking for that same part now that you have a better sense of it and ask the one who didn't like it, if it's okay. And then just go hang with it. And this is exactly the same thing you did. Now that the the one that it was blocking sees that you can do it and you're not overwhelmed and you're, it's going to be a lot easier. It's like the first pickle out of the pickle jar is a tough one, but afterwards they're a lot easier. So <laughs> it's funny. It's a great so, metaphor. Um, so just, you know, and clearly this part who doesn't, what did it say? It doesn't trust love? Was that it? Doesn't... Yeah. Which I didn't really yeah. have ever articulated before. So it clearly has reasons for that. We didn't get into those. But at some point, you can ask where it's stuck in the past with that belief that love is dangerous or whatever it believes. And with either with somebody or even on your own, some people can do that. You can see the scene and get all the reasons, it might be many scenes. And then you can go in and be with her in the past. And then when she's ready, take her to a safe place in the present or fantasy place. And then help her unload that belief that love is dangerous and, and all the feelings that go with it. And she'll transform into a 
probably a part that loves love, you know, that really wants connection. So um, all of that would be homework. And some of it you might have to have somebody help you with. Um, but, you know, a part like that, you know, it's, I mean, as much as it sounds like you've got a lovely family, but it's still going to keep a certain level of distance from your partner. So it's really good to, to work at it mm-hmm. in your marriage. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, this idea that you lay out at the beginning of the book and we talked about where we, we just have this idea of people as this mono mind, it's one mind, it's one personality, it's one character value. Um, and if, if they explode, if they cheat, if they do want make a mistake, um, you know, it's, it's so much harder to forgive this like mono mind, but when you realize there's hurt parts and protector parts, protector parts that may say really vile things, but they're just protecting this really wounded side of you. And when you start to do that work, exploring your wounded parts and what I just connected with within me, you can show up and have so much more compassion, not only for yourself, but for the world, which is obviously what we need right now to counter this craziness that's going on and this cancel culture. I want to like, you're starting the movement of canceling cancel culture with compassion, you know? Um, And it's just so much easier to, I'd love for you to just like touch on um, forgiveness um, in relation to parts and how this new perspective can help us forgive ourselves and forgive others because it's so needed right now. You did a really nice job of describing that. And, you know, had your husband been watching this and could see that, that, that part that maybe, and I'm just speculating, but maybe sometimes keeps him a little distant is stuck somewhere or you know has its story about what happened and and is also seeing you beginning to work with that part so it can unburden how's he going to feel watching that you know he's going to have a lot more empathy for the protector that might come in sometimes and he won't be fighting that anymore and again i'm just speculating but so that's one aspect and then that does lead to a, a level of forgiveness that you can't have if you see the person as this monolith who is just distant, you know, and doesn't let you get close. Yeah. Like talk a little bit about true soulmateship because we have this idealized fantasy that you touched on before that someone out there is going to complete me, that there's this magic love that's never going to trigger me. Um, and what you teach is just reframed. It's like, there is no magic love and relationships, especially intimate ones are meant to trigger us to reveal the parts of ourselves so that we can come back to wholeness and fully embrace, accept and love ourselves and, and, and show up in life from our self with the capital S our observer, our true self, our soul. Um, So I guess I just answered my own question. You know, um, my belief is that we're all here to learn lessons in this this place, this earth. And the lesson plan is in the burdens we have that we got coming out of our families. And our partners generally are there to be our, what you you said earlier, our tormentors, that by triggering us, they teach us what we need to heal. And, you know, with some people, 
you learn your lessons and then and part of the lesson is to not let your partner keep doing that anymore and maybe to leave or something like that so it's not like everybody should stay just to learn their lessons but um but too many people because their partner does something that feels really bad think oh you know they're not the right person and until they can take care of that part themselves it's coming back full circle to that you're the one you've been waiting for till you can become the primary caretaker of that exile uh it's most relationships are going to be doomed to failure because your partner can't do a perfect job of never hurting your exile mm -hmm. and i think that says it perfectly it's like you one of the things this work brings is one of the c's is clarity so you will know when you do the work and you start to show up in the world as yourself and you operate in self-leadership and you've embraced all those parts and accepting those parts and loving mm -hmm. those parts, then you know whether to keep putting in the work or whether the most loving thing to do for yourself and caring, compassionate thing to do is to leave the relationship and find someone more aligned. That's right. And, and when you access that level of self, you also have more access to guidance that is is less material it's more spiritual and that guidance can be very helpful also in knowing how long to stay a leaf blower is your guidance <laughs> okay no that was so beautiful a perfect way to end honestly um this book comes out may it's coming out soon all right, guys, get your copy of You Are the One You've Been Waiting For, because I promise you, you are. Uh, it, this is a life-changing book, and I just appreciate your time here and, and the work that we did to get together. And and uh, let us know where we can find you. Thank you, Kelly. And uh, um, I want to say that despite all that, you did a great job of, of you did your homework and you did a great job of interviewing. <laughs> Thank you. Despite Thank you. Your, your daughter and your husband. Thank um, you. And yeah, it was delightful to be with you. I had no idea that you that you were into this this much. So it was really fun. And um, yeah, our website is ifs-institute.com. So most everything's on that. Awesome. All right. Well, be well and take care. And thank you again so much. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in for more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. And if you feel inspired, we would love you to rate and review us so that we have the opportunity to reach more people. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gore. Thank you so much and be well.